Philippians 4, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9 is what we're going to go through towards the end here. And the idea here is many people are tormented because they cannot get a grip of their minds. This morning I want us to look at a God strategy for victory in this important area. The idea and images in men's minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern them. You are not what you think you are, but what you think is what you are. It goes along with saying who you hang around with is who you become. I've said this many times about my children, and I've always said to them, watch who you hang around with, choose your friends close to you, those that think the same as you and me and Christ, because those you hang around with will give you a big influence and change the way you think. It's crucial for, crucial for us to bring our thought and life into submission to Jesus Christ, learning to think biblically about every aspect of our lives. One of the most helpful things to have learned about a Christian life is that all sin begins in our thoughts, which the Bible often calls the heart. Relate the heart in the Jewish times to your mind. And how do we know this? Jesus says in Mark 7, 20, he says, That which cometh out of the man that defiled the man, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. All of these thoughts that are written up here on the screen, as you're saying, the adultery, fornication, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceitfulness, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile the man. No one commits these outward sins without first having committed them in their mind. If you want to grow in godliness, we must win the battle over sin and over our thought level. Even Satan had thoughts of grandeur, didn't he? He wanted to be God. Isaiah 14, 13 through 14 says, For thou hast said, this is Satan, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of congregation on the sides of the north, and I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the most high. One of the sins, the great sins of hum humanity, even Satan, as portrayed here. What is that sin? Sin of pride. The sin of pride. Dwight Pentecost said the greatest area of sin in a believer's life is not the area of actions, but it's the area of thought. Thought. What are all these thoughts that we have? What are these? One is pride. Thought of pride. The other is lust, covetousness, greed, suspicion. They're all sins of the mind. Your mind has to conceive all of these for them to become sin. We can go on and on and on. It's a testimony to the fact that there is a warfare going on. Satan is attacking the mind. The minds of today of our children. Look at our country today. What's happening to their minds in schools? What's happening on TV? What's happening in the things that they read? They're confused. They don't even know what gender they are. Who taught them that? Who shows them that? Satan does. People who are evil, 
people who don't know where they are or what they're doing, and they convince our children to follow the sinful manners. You know, and so I, I remember giving you this story before about flying a helicopter, and one of the fun things that we do when we fly in a helicopter is auto, called auto-rotation. And we practice those every day, every day. Every time we went out, we had to practice two or three of them. And the auto-rotation is that you got five or seven seconds when the engine quits to do a bunch of things, or you're going to see your Savior real quick. One of the things is, as soon as that engine quits, the tail will yaw, in the direction of what that tail road is, because there's no more power there, put in a left or right pedal, depending on what helicopter you're flying. Get the pedal in. Next thing is get the collective down, because you don't want your blades pitched up tight. What's going to happen? The air is going to grab them, and it'll slow your blades down. And when your RPM drops to a certain level, you'll never get it back again. Get the collective down, as quick as you can. Next thing is look at your airspeed. Airspeed is a plus. Depending on what altitude you're at, 60 miles an hour is where you want to be at. If you're going too fast, push the cyclic, or pull the cyclic back, slow you down. Going too slow, push it forward. The next thing is you need to find a place to land. Depending on how high you are, you have so much time. And what were they teaching us? They were teaching us to be prepared. And that preparation is that when things happen, it's not going to be such an instant, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? You're prepared for it. The engine quits, I know what to do instinctively. Five things, do this, do that, do this, do that, look and go. Get it done in five seconds. God does the same thing in his word. He prepares us. He wants our minds to be prepared for whatever happens. And that's why we have his word. People question us. People question our beliefs. People ask us questions. We need to be prepared to give the answer. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Transformed. What does that mean? It means a change. When you transform something, it was something at one point in time. Now it's transformed into something new, something different. Transform your nature. Transform your character. Convert the conditions that you used to be in. Convert it to something new. And how do we do that? He says in the next step of this verse, by the renewing of your mind. You know, when you run out of milk at home, what do you do? Next time you go to the store, you replenish that supply of milk in your refrigerator. When you run out of thinking of God and start thinking of the world, start thinking of what happens in the world and how people are treating you and how the world is treating you, and you're not thinking of God, what do you have to do? Get back to the Word. Replenish God's Word in your mind. Replenish those things that are righteous. Replenish those things that are truthful. The replenishment and the renewal of your mind. Ephesians 4, 23 says that you put off concerning the former conversation. It's not a conversation between you and me and somebody else. This conversation is that you put off the manner of way you were living. No longer want to live that lifestyle. Today they have all kinds of lifestyles. Most of them immoral. You don't want to go that direction. 
You want to go in the direction of Christ, the true, the righteous lifestyle, living for him. It says here, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And he can be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renewing your mind. It's our lusts, our lust of the flesh, our pride of life that puts us in trouble. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind. This gird up before the Israelites would go into battle. You know, they wore long tunics down to the robes or whatever you want to call them, down to their feet. And they had a belt. And what they would do is they would pull up the tunic and they would tighten that belt. And the tunic would lay over the belt so that they wouldn't get their feet caught into any kind of holes or any kind of brush. They had movement of their feet was free. And Peter is saying here, encircle your mind with a band of Jesus Christ, with the band of his word. Encircle it. Tighten it up so you don't stumble or fall. Be sober and hopeful to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be sober. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, Casting down imaginations. What are these imaginations? We have a lot of imaginations today, don't we? Aliens are coming. UFOs are everywhere. All kinds of imaginations. Just look at the TV. I love watching sci-fi, but I never watch sci-fi for the, for the actual uh, storyline. I like building models, so I like to look at the models they make. It's the only reason I watch sci-fi. But here, watch sci-fi. This is what you get. Imaginations. One of the concepts of the imagination is evolution. It's your mind. It's a concept being taught to our children every day. A concept that says there is no God. It's an imagination. We know the truth. Jesus says the truth will set you free. This is the truth. In the beginning, God created. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know anything else. I don't need to know a Big Bang Theory. I don't need to know why the dinosaurs died. Some crazy asteroid hit the earth. I don't believe in that. I believe in this. The world is six to, six to 8,000 years old. Read the genealogy. Find out how old the earth really is and what happened. Isn't it possible that a flood could have killed everything off? Yeah. More than possible. It happened. It's evident, <clears throat> it's evident that our mind is the center of our will and what we want to do. You heard it said that we are what we eat. Well, I believe it's we are what we think. Psalm 23, 7 says it very clearly. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So one of the five things here that I've got. Move on, Micah. <clears throat> Number six. First one is watch your thoughts. Your thoughts become words. What you think, at some point in time, you're going to speak. My wife caught me the other day, and I was kind of a little bit upset and angry at somebody, and I wrote some stuff down, and I'm going to send this email out. And she said, oh, you better wait and think about that. <laughs> and I did. And it changed the whole email. And it changed the whole outcome, I know. 
So what your thoughts are, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Remember what you speak could be an action word. You know, when they go into battle, they say, charge. What happens? Everybody runs. Watch your words. Then watch your actions. Once they become actions, they become habits. A lot of alcoholics have a lot of actions, don't they? Drink, drink, drink. Becomes habits. People who look on pornography or on the internet, watch, watch, watch. That's habits. It's just a habit. Once you do it long enough, you do it. What's I think there was the old, I don't know if Hitler said it or who said it, but if you tell a lie long enough and hard enough, eventually you believe it. And it's the same thing here. If you do an action long enough and hard enough, it becomes the habit. Watch your habits because they become your character. Who you are. People will know who you are. Look at our Congress. Look at what's happened. When President Trump was in office, it was a constant daily battle of bombardment of lies and lies and lies. And today now we find out, oh, there is no Russian collusion. It was all lies. What their habits? They're habitual liars. Does anybody believe them anymore? Does anybody believe these people that told those lies? I don't. Why would you? That's your character. That's your habit. That's what you've put out in front of you. And that character becomes your destiny. That destiny is if you are a thief and you don't come to Christ, you'll always be a thief. If you're a liar and you don't come to Christ and repent of your sin, you'll always be a liar. In the eyes of somebody else, you'll always be what you portray through your life, through your words, your actions, your habits, your character. And that's what they'll see. Until you save, <coughs> Christ saves you, and you come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, then there's a change in your life. There's a change in your words. There's a change in your actions. You don't have those habits anymore. You want to get rid of them. Your character becomes honest and truth. And your destiny is where? With Jesus Christ, isn't it? That's where your destiny is. There was a young boy who was tossing up a baseball. And every time he tossed the ball up, he would swing. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He'd miss. And he tossed it up again. Swing. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. He'd miss. And the third one, he tossed it up and he'd swing. Miss. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he kind of put his head down and he thought for a while. He says, Actually, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> Struck himself out. Listen to the words of this poem. If you think you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win but think you can't, it's almost for sure you won't. If you think you're losing, you've lost. For out in the world we find success begins with a person's will. It's all a state of mind. If you think you're outclassed, you are. You've got to think high to rise. You have to stay with it in order to win the prize. Life's battles don't always go the way we want them. To the one with the better plan, for more often than not, you will win if only you think you can.
thinking. It's our thought process. It's how we move things forward, how we do things. We think about it first. As Gene was saying this morning, I believe it was he had read about you wouldn't build a house or you build a building without thinking about the cost. That's our thinking. It's vital that we learn to master our minds if we are to experience the blessed life. Someone once said, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Who's the master of your mind? If it's the world, they're going to govern you like the world. If it's Satan, your mind's going to be governed just like Satan. If it's Christ, who's the master of your mind? Who's going to govern your mind? You're going to be Christ-like. Master of your mind. Philippians 4, 7 says, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The word keep is a key word in this passage. It means to garrison, to protect, to fortify, to guard like a soldier. God desires that we win the war and we constantly are fighting this battle of our minds. He wants us to win the war and we will. And the way to win is God wants us to build walls of protection around our minds. This fortress around our minds is the four sides. And so let's look at these four walls. There's four walls to our mind. Number one is the wall of praise. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. We must learn to rejoice. Don't rejoice in our circumstances, but in our Christ. Not in our job, but in Jesus. Not in our ministry, but in our master. Not in our salary, but in our Savior. Rejoice in the Lord. People will change, circumstances will change, and life will constantly change, but the Lord never changes. He's today what he was in the past, present, and the future. Always the same. Never changes. We can rejoice in who God is and what he has done for us in the past and for what he has done for us now. And we can also rejoice for what he is doing for us in the future. Thank God we got, he came and died for us. Rejoice in the future that we'll be living with him in heaven in eternity. You know, God loves us unconditionally. Jeremiah 31.3 says, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. The Bible says that he draws us to him. We don't come to him. We may think we came to him in our deepest sorrow, in the pit of animosity that we were in, the pit of hell that we were living and we cried out to God, but it was God who cried out to us first and called us and allowed us to go into that situation, to live our lives in despair and so that we would reach out for him when he called and we would be ready. He works out things for the ultimate good and for his glory. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Two key things in this verse. 
Number one, works together for good to them that what? Love God. So, is he working things together for those that hate God? Those who despise God? Those who don't believe in God? Is he working out good in their lives? No. They are paying the price for their unbelief. Does that mean that he's not calling them? No. God calls everybody. It's a matter of who answers. And the second part of that verse it says, to them who are called, who are called, the end part says, according to his purpose. When God calls you and me, he has a purpose in our lives to glorify him, and we need to know what that purpose is. How do we find out that purpose? Study his word. That's the purpose of life, studying his word, finding out how he lived, finding out what he wants us to do, how, he, how we're supposed to be Christ-like. How would we ever know how to be Christ-like if we didn't follow the example of Christ himself and didn't read his word? We wouldn't. Second thing is the wall of patience. Philippians 4.5 says, Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. The word moderation literally means gentle or gracious spirit. It's an idea of being patient with others. It has the idea of giving up what you have and allowing others to come to you. Allowing others in your life. It means that you have a willingness to take a back seat and not to be in the front seat. A lot of you are in the back seat, so some of you should maybe come to the front seat. Just kidding. It means that you're willing to play second fiddle. Everybody strives to be the first trumpet. I remember I used to play trumpet. I think I was in the sixth or seventh grade. And I always wanted to be in the first trumpet. I never made it there. I was always in the third or fourth seat. But you strive for that. But it means that those people who are there belong there. They're there for a reason. They're good. And then we have to be able to learn that, yes, there are some people that are better in things that we do. And we have to take a second seat. The other thing is in Paul's, or Philippians, Paul says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Esteem the other. It means to lift up the other. Even though they may not be better than you, lift them up anyway. Tell them they're doing good. Encourage them in their life processes, the things that are happening in their lives, the things that they are doing. Give them encouragement. Esteem them up better than you looking out and saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. No, don't look at me. You're doing just fine. You're good at what you do. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Look at Philippians 2.4. Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 
who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took him upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Isn't that what we were? We were bond servants. We weren't bond servants. We were servants to Satan before we became Christians. And now that we become Christians, we're no longer servants to Satan or this world. We are bond servants to Christ. And the bond servant says, I want to be a servant. I want to serve Jesus Christ. I want to do it for the love of him. Whereas a servant to Satan, you didn't do it for the love of Satan. You did it for the love of yourself. And you served him because he had you just as he had Adam and Eve for a while there. You believe the lie. We need to live a life focused on others. If the focus of our lives is on ourselves, then when people hurt us, people slight us, cross us, what's our desire if we're focused on ourselves? The desire is retaliation and vengeance. When someone hurts me, Someone says something about me that's not right. They cross me. Right away, it's, wow, i got to get back at this person. That really ticked me off. And that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul warns us that we have to get off of ourselves and get on to others. When we focus on those around us, people are going to hurt us. But when our focus is on other people, when our focus is on trying to spread the word of Jesus Christ, when our focus is to get people saved through his word, then when people retaliate against us, hate us for who we love and serve, despise us because we're Christians and we know that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, it doesn't hurt so bad, does it? When they say bad things about us, it doesn't hurt so bad because they know that when they say it to me, they're saying it to who? Christ. Because the Holy Spirit lives within me. Then we got the wall of peace. What messes up our minds more than anything else is worry. What exactly is worry? I'll give you a few little hints here. Worry gives a small thing a big shadow. Worry is like a rocking chair. You get in it, you rock back and forth, but you ain't going anywhere. And you ain't doing anything. It's an indication that we think God cannot look after us. It's a guest admitted, which quickly turns to be our master. Worry never robs tomorrow of its sorrow. It only saps today of its strength. Worry is the interest paid by those who borrow trouble. And worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. Now, many of these quotes came from John Rice, A. Cronin, George Lyon, R. Mounts. So just so you know, that they're not from me. They're quotes from other people. Dwight Pentecost said, Do you ever find yourself worrying? Do you know that the scripture calls worry a sin? When you realize that you were worrying, did you go to God and confess it as a sin? Yet how often, as we as believers, 
treat it lightly when we find our stomachs tied in knots because we have worried ourselves into a nervous frenzy. We don't realize that we have fallen into sin. Edward Hale was a senator. He lived from 1822 to 1909. Former U.S. Senate chaplain is what he was. He said, never attempt to bear more than one kind of trouble at once. Some people bear three kinds of trouble. All that they have had, all that they have now, and all that they expect to have. It's a lot of trouble for you to bear. Warren Wiersbe says, from the spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking, the mind. It's wrong feeling, the heart. And that's about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the greatest thief of joy. It is not even enough, enough for us, however, to tell ourselves to quit worrying, because that will never capture the thief. Worry is an inside job, and it takes more than good intentions to get the victory. The antidote to worry is to secure your mind, and the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 5, I believe it is. The peace of God. And when you have the secure mind, the peace of God guards you, and the God of peace guides you. What kind of protection with that? How much more protection do we need? Why worry? We win the victory over worry through continual prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Isaiah 26 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, who mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Corey Ten Boom said these wise words. She says, look around and be di distressed. Look inside, be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. There was a <clears throat> hymnal written by Francis Havergale like a river glorious, just the first stanza here. It says, like a river glorious stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. God will replace all worry with his perfect peace if you will go to him in prayer. And the last one is the wall of purity. William Barclay made this observation, the human mind will always set itself on something, and Paul wished to be quite certain that the Philippians would set their minds on the right things. This is something of the most important, because it's the law of life, that if a man thinks of something long enough, he will come to a point in time that he can't stop thinking about it. You'll just continue to think about it, and think about it, and think about it. And I kind of remember this even when I was a kid. Before I bought my first helicopter, that's all I thought about. And I was a kid then. I was only 17, 18, 19, and we got married at 19 and 20. And I still was on my mind. I want to get a helicopter. I want to get a helicopter. I want to fly. I want to fly. 
I don't know how many years after that it was, probably in my 30s, I finally got a helicopter and I flew for five years and that was it. It's like I don't need a helicopter anymore. <laughs> I don't think much about it anymore. But you think about it constantly. If there's something that you really want, you just continually think about it. And it's also a bad portion for people who are in pornography. Once that vision hits them on that screen, on that internet, there's in their back of their mind, go back. I want to see more, go back. I want to see more. There's no fulfillment there. It's just a desire. It'll never be filled, no matter what. I'm going to pray for those people, too. There are eight words as we get close to here, closing, in Philippians 4, 8. The eight words are values that should fill the Christian's thought life. Some people refer to this as Paul's paragraph of good mental health. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. Isn't the world looking for truth today? But were they looking for truth in Christ's day? What did Pilate say to Jesus when Jesus says truth? What is truth? It doesn't change from the beginning to now. People are always searching for the truth. Those who find the truth find it in Christ. Those who never find the truth have never come to Christ. Because what does Jesus say? The truth will set you free. Whatsoever things are honest. Is there any honesty in the world today? I'm sure there are. But what do we get portrayed in front of us daily on that television set, in those newspapers, in those articles? What do we get portrayed to us? Where's the honesty? People say something and then later on they have to retract what they said. Well, the honest thing would have been what we discussed way at the beginning. Think before you speak. Think about what you're going to tell people. Are you telling them the truth? Be honest about what you're doing. Very little honesty, especially in our government. Very hard to find honest people. And those who are honest are ripped daily. Top to bottom. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they can stay in those positions and have people constantly, constantly after them calling them liars, calling them face-to-face. -face. You didn't do this, you didn't, and they're, it's the opposite. They're telling the truth, but the liars don't want to believe it. The unbelievers don't want to believe it. That's why you don't have facts anymore. Nobody wants to believe in the facts. They just want to believe their own. I think it was a Bible verse, or it was in, before the flood came, I believe, and it says that the men and women of the world was to, doing all things according to their own will, their own thinking. That's what we have today, right back to Noah's days, doesn't it? Whatsoever things are just, where's justice in the land? Hard to find. Whatsoever things are pure, what's pure? A pure heart, a pure soul, a pure mind. Thinking thoughts of good, not evil. Doing things of good, 
and for Christ, and not for yourself. Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think of these things. These eight things. Put them in your heart. Put them in their mind. And they will bind the four sides around you and keep you from temptation. There was a lady in New York. She was in a tenant house, and she was always going around collecting garbage, and they called her Garbage Mary. Always collecting garbage. And they finally had to put her into an institution. She was just kind of psychotic. And they went in her house and they looked. And here she had filled her house as a hoarder. But they found bank records and stocks from big companies. And she was worth over a million dollars. And yet she was outside going through the world's refuse and the garbage of the world when God had given her something that she could have used for good. Didn't use it for anything. How is that for us today? Are we in the world? Are we using not the talents that God has given us, but in the garbage heap of the world? Taking on the garbage of the world? Doing its bidding? Or are we taking our talents... Are we taking the gifts that Christ has given us through the Holy Spirit and are we using them to further His kingdom and getting more people saved? An old Indian Christian was explaining to a missionary that the battle inside of him is like a black dog and a white dog, always fighting. And the missionary said, who wins? The one I feed the most. That's us. How do we feed our minds? Do we feed our minds with Christ? we feed our minds with his word? If we feed our minds with only Jesus, then that's the one who wins. Because he is the victor. He is one. It's the thought that counts. Think about it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for all that you've done for us. I just... give you my praise and my worship and, my, and the glory that you deserve. I don't know what I would have done with my life without you, for you have been a precious jewel to me, a gem that I want to hide and keep within me. You have done so much in my life for my family and for me. As Philippians says, let this mind be in which you, as was also in Christ. I want this mind to be in me. Your mind, Jesus Christ. The mind of Christ. The mind of justice. The one who preserves life. Who gave life from the beginning and who now gives eternal life at the end. I ask for those who haven't accepted Christ as their Savior today. Here, today is your chance. You may not live beyond walking out of the door or live beyond turning on the TV as you're watching on television. Today is your chance. The chance to accept Christ as your Savior. I thank God that He's given me a chance, given my
wife a chance and my children a chance and that they have all accepted Christ as our Savior. I thank you for all you've done. I can't, no way could I ever repay the precious blood that was spent on that cross, the beatings that you took for me and for all who come to you, all that are called. And I pray that you lift up the hearts of the men and women, the families that have lost loved ones in the wars past. We feel for them, and our heart yearns for them, that they be comforted in this time of need. And as they are reminded tomorrow, as they go to the cemeteries with those words that are written on those gravestones, and you look at those dates, and between the state of when they were born and the date when they died, there's a little dash there. And look at the size of that dash. That's the length of our life. It's very small compared to eternity with Christ. Help us this week, those that need Christ, those that have come before us, that you have called and brought before us and asked for help that we as Christians would not deny them that help. We as Christians would give them your word, your love, and anything else, whether it be a need, financial or food, whatever that need is, that you have provided for us that we would be able to give to them. We ask today that you forgive us our sins and keep us from Satan's temptations and lies, and that we would always see through the darkness with the light shining from your glory. In your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.